Welcome back, Trigram Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I tell you about crimes committed by military members and veterans, and sometimes their spouses. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. Today, I have something a little different for all of you. This is a segment called Tales from the Trenches. In essence, these are listener stories written by you and told by me. These are stories about crazy events in listeners' lives or stories that they've been told. If you happen to have a story you'd like me to share, you can remain anonymous if you so choose. There is a link in the show notes for you to tell me all about your story. Today, we have an eclectic mix of stories, not all of them involving murder. Some actually might make you even nervously laugh out loud. The very last story is very, very difficult to listen to. So I will give another warning before I tell you that one. And with that, let's dig into these tales from the trenches. Our first story today comes from a patron. It says, Hi, Mama Margot. I've been listening to your podcast on Apple Podcasts and finally joined your Patreon a few months ago. I wanted to share a short snippet of a story from my point of view of a military brat. When I was six years old, my parents were stationed on the George Washington based out of Norfolk, Virginia. We went to a party at one of their friends' houses like we normally did. During the party, one of the friends, his nickname is O'Shea, got into an argument with his live-in girlfriend. All of the kids were sent outside because it was, quote, safer. However, after about 10 minutes, the argument turned into a fight between O'Shea and Jax, which is short for Jackson as Jax was trying to keep O'Shea from hitting his girlfriend. The girlfriend came outside and got in their car, but O'Shea decided to block her from leaving the driveway. His girlfriend said that she would run him over and laugh about it. O'Shea started yelling at her to try. So she did. However, O'Shea managed to lift the front end of her car clean off the ground as the tires were spinning. From the point of view of a six-year-old, it was super cool. Listening to how some stories like this end, it was horrifying. Anyway, after she jumped out of the car, he put it down and passed out. EMS was called and O'Shea was taken to the hospital. I heard the story again from my parents not too long ago, and I found out that O'Shea was on steroids at the time and was abusive, and so was his girlfriend. O'Shea had some issues with his heart and eventually got out after a few years. Break, break. Now, this is me, Margot, talking. I'm assuming she means he got out of the military. Okay, back to the story. The girlfriend broke up with him, and eventually she did hit him with the car. I know it's not funny, but we all laugh a little. From the last update we got pre-COVID, O'Shea is doing great now, and the girlfriend hasn't been heard from since. I have other stories from my parents, but I found this one to be the most dramatic where no one got injured too bad. All right, that's the end of that listener tale, but I'm like, what is going on here? So, of course, after reading the story, I had a few follow-up questions, and this is the response that I got from the patron. And this is what the patron said. No, you don't have to change any names since we always use nicknames. 
So at one point I asked my patron if what she meant about her hitting the guy with the car. And she said, quote, she did hit him with the car during an argument after this one. He only walked away with some bruises. Of course, I asked her, did he actually lift the car and pass out? And the response was yes. As soon as he dropped the car, his adrenaline wore off and he passed out almost instantly in the driveway. I guess I would too. A car is pretty heavy. More details about this story as told by the patron. They lived in a two-story house on base. O'Shea was a mechanic for the planes on the ship. Jax worked on the flight deck with my dad and my mom was a mutual friend who worked in admin and in the brig. So they were all on the same carrier together. O'Shea is about six foot three inches tall and built similar to Mr. T. Jax is about five foot eight and is very slim. The girlfriend, I can't remember her name, was very Jersey girl-like. She always wore high heels, mini skirts, and super bright makeup and big hair. All right, so that's the end of that crazy listener tale. I've never heard of a real life story where someone lifts a car, so interesting. All right, this next story is from listener Tiffany. I grew up in a small town in Idaho, about 30 minutes west of Boise. My first real boyfriend was named Nicholas Vandenberg. He moved to my town with his siblings and were in the foster care system. We attended school together from about 2001 through 2004. We began dating our freshman year, you know, high school dating, where you never really see one another outside of school and occasionally would talk to one another on the phone. Nick ended up moving back to another town with his mom and siblings towards the end of 2004. Because neither of us had a car or even knew how to drive, well, things ended there. I did not hear from him for a few years until social media became a thing. We became friends on Facebook and began talking again. He said he joined the Marines and was married, had some kids, and living in Southern California. I was so happy for him to see that his life had turned around and that he was happy. Jump to summer of 2014. I hadn't heard from him for about three years. He said he had disabled his social media accounts and was now back in Idaho. We chatted a while and he said he was going through a divorce and he was now serving in the guard out of Mountain Home. We ended up talking a little here and there and ended up getting together one evening. We talked about high school and how things in life had changed so much since being kids. You know, things you do when you see old flames. The evening ended and we parted ways. Q summer of 2017. We had stayed in touch via Facebook for a while, commenting on photos and liking statuses. October, it had been in the news that a young man from Oregon had gone missing passing through Idaho back in June. The Awihi County Sheriff's Department posted on Facebook about two hunters finding a dead body out in the desert and for anyone with information to reach out to them. Nick had commented on this Facebook post stating something along the lines of, quote, if I had killed someone out there, I would not be dumb enough to leave the body where it could be found, end quote. Again, this is not an exact quote since the Facebook comments have since been taken down. Nick commented a few more times and joked about the situation. A few weeks later, I see in the news that Nick and two others had been arrested for the murder of Hunter Tash Smith, the young man from Oregon that had been hitchhiking to Nebraska. I sent screenshots of the news to my best friend who was also close with Nick when we were in high school. We both could not believe what we were reading. Nick of all people and the fact that he commented on the news post. It turns out Nick had shot Hunter at close range in the upper torso and face head with a 45 caliber pistol. Then he and two others dragged the body to a ditch and burned his clothes. 
Nick was arrested and his trial was very quiet. There was not a lot of news coverage or anything about it. The county it happened in is huge in land, but small in population, mostly desert and nothing. I think that may have had something to do with the lack of news coverage. As it turned out, Nick and the other two were found guilty in 2019 and are currently serving their sentences. Okay, so that was it for the listener tale. So Tiffany did include a link with some more information, and here is what I gathered from that news article. Hunter Tash Smith was only 18 years old and had a daughter at the time. He was hitchhiking from Junction City, Oregon in June of 2017. Hunter wasn't reported missing until August that year, when someone contacted his mom to let her know that she hadn't heard from Hunter in a while. Sadly, it wouldn't be until late October when Hunter's body was found in the desert. As reported by the Idaho Press, the three people responsible for Hunter's death were Nicholas Vandenberg, Montana Reed, and Willie Raby. They killed Hunter on June 22nd. As Tiffany stated, Nicholas was in fact the shooter. The three were sentenced as follows. Willie Raby ultimately pled guilty to accessory to murder, destroying evidence and failing to report a death, and he was sentenced to 26 years. He will be eligible for parole after serving 11 years. Montana Reed pled guilty to criminal conspiracy and failing to report a death. She was sentenced to 15 years and will be eligible for parole after serving five years. Nicholas Vandenberg pled guilty to first-degree murder, destroying and concealing evidence, and use of a deadly weapon in criminal conspiracy, and he was ultimately sentenced to 30 years to life in prison. He will be eligible for parole after completing 30 years. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. This next story is from a listener named Pat. 
This story begins when my husband received orders for Fort Riley, Kansas. In 1995, Waco happened and the investigation into the Oklahoma bombing was full force. I mention this because I am originally from Lawton, Oklahoma, about 70 miles from Oklahoma City, and the Murrow Building is where I did my MEPS to enter the Army Reserves. While my husband was in processing, we were driving around and noticed a house with yellow tape. We didn't think twice about it. Six months later, we were moving on post. Now, this is where things get interesting. We had only been married for three years, and it was rocky from the start. We argued and fought constantly. One day, he decided to go grocery shopping, and he was gone for five hours. He came home with one bag, put the groceries up, and told me he wanted a divorce. We argued, screaming all the while my children were crying. I threw a punch, and he blocked it, and he dislocated my shoulder. He snatched the phone from my daughter. At this time, she was five or six, and then he left. We had another phone in the house, so my daughter called 911, and I called a friend. Later, on a separate date, once things had settled with my husband and I, I ran into the CID agent, who I thought was just an MP, at work. I gave him and his family a free meal. Later, he would ask to speak to me privately. The CID agent began asking me questions. The first question, do you know about that house? My response, no, why? His second question, so you know nothing? My response, no. So the CID agent began to tell me about an incident that happened in the house where I was living about a year or two prior. A woman was found dead by her 16-year-old daughter. The husband, it appears, in a rage, slit his wife's throat and gutted her like a pig. He proceeded to try and clean it up, grab his son, and go to bed. But the daughter called the police after finding her mother's body. The CID agent then proceeded to tell me that when they responded to that crime scene, there was so much blood that they had to wear biohazard suits to go inside. So that was all I heard about that from the CID agent. But around the same time, my male neighbor came by to see how I was doing. A couple of days later, his wife came by. And it was the wife who proceeded to tell me the same story as the CID agent. When the police arrived to my house when my husband and I got into it, our neighbors thought they were living through this nightmare that they had experienced a few years earlier. My female neighbor told me that she didn't get any sleep until she saw me walk into the house the next day. So now I heard the story about the murder in my house from two separate people. First, the CID agent, and then second, my neighbor. And then when I walked in to see my hairdresser and I was wearing an arm sling because remember, my husband had dislocated my shoulder, my hairdresser told me the story yet again, but this time with a little more background. So it turns out that the husband at the house was a habitual cheater and had gotten a woman in Junction City pregnant. At the time, the wife found out and the husband went to NTC for 60 days. While he is there, the wife decides to cheat on husband. Word gets back to husband and that's when everything went south. At some point, it appeared that the couple was going to work it out, but then the wife decided to leave. And it was on the day that the wife was going to leave for good as the wife got to the front door that the husband snuck up behind her and fatally attacked her. The listener continues, This story has haunted me, and after a bomb threat at the 6th Street McDonald's, the Oklahoma City bombing, and other incidents, I got my kids and I moved into a trailer in Junction City and he, the husband, remained in the house. Now, that was the end of the listener story, 
And when I read that, I was left with so many questions. Primarily, was my listener in a safe situation now? Of course, I reached out to her and I do have an update for everyone. Our listener did divorce her abusive husband back in 2003. He ended up remarrying and is still married to that woman today. Before the divorce, her abusive husband told our listener that she would never make it without him. Well, our listener did make it. And she's happy to report that without him, she purchased a house, she bought a new car, and she bought herself a kick-ass Harley Davidson. So I guess she did make it without him. As for that bomb threat at the 6th Street McDonald's in Junction City, our listener mentioned it because she was working there when the bomb threat came in. The caller said the bomb was in the basement and then hung up. They immediately called 911, and within five minutes, a few federal agencies, including the FBI, showed up and cleared out about a three-block radius. Turns out that they were making a big deal about this particular bomb threat because Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols had allegedly had breakfast at this exact McDonald's before driving to Oklahoma to bomb the federal building. So with that listener story, I attempted to find out more about that Fort Riley soldier who killed his wife on base in the early 1990s. And this is what I found out. So my listener, when she first reached out to me with the story, she was like, I I hope you can find more information about this. So this is what I found. On September 6, 1995, the Manhattan Mercury reported the following story, quote, a Fort Riley soldier faces murder charges after his 32-year-old wife was found dead in the couple's Warner Heights home on post early Monday afternoon. Karen Boyd received multiple stab wounds and her throat had been cut. Staff Sergeant Dennis Boyd, 33, is in protective custody at Irwin Army Community Hospital. He is in stable condition and is being treated for apparent self-inflicted stab wounds. He is awaiting court-martial proceedings, end quote. I further read in the Courier-Journal that it was a 12-year-old daughter who found the mother. The couple also had a toddler son at the time of the murder. I, of course, tried to find an update in old newspaper archives and by searching the Army Court of Criminal Appeals about this case, but I couldn't find anything. I did, however, check the Bureau of Prisons website and found a few Dennis Boyds listed. The only 62-year-old that I found listed was released in 2008. And while I was searching that case, I did find two more Fort Riley cases that jumped out at me from the 94-95 era. In 1994, during a barbecue, a dispute broke out and 22-year-old Private First Class Eddie Patterson opened fire, killing a man and a woman. Less than a year later, a soldier who was upset with his supervisor purchased a 12-gauge shotgun and then immediately went to base, opened fire in the Custer Hill barracks. He ultimately killed Private James Evans and injured another soldier. The gunman then turned the weapon on himself. The AP News reported that the supervisor who was initially the likely target was uninjured and that that supervisor had tried to warn others about this soldier. Yikes. Listen, y'all, I went down a rabbit hole looking up the tragic death of Karen Boyd and things that are happening at Fort Riley. So anyway, thank you so much to my listener for sharing her personal survival story. This next case is truly heartbreaking and one that I have heard one too many times in similarity. I had never heard about this case, but I have heard about similar cases. 
Michael Mitchell Sr. wrote as follows, quote, I would like to let everyone know how my son, Specialist Mitchell, was treated while serving at Fort Drum in New York. 2019 was the first time my son had episodes of syncope and collapse due to a failing heart. Fort Drum really didn't care about it and was also giving my son rescue inhalers, which are bad for heart conditions. Fort Drum took their sweet time seeking help and barely did that, while my son was basically suffering every day and forced to work ridiculous hours. We now know my son was fighting for his life for two years, not being able to breathe properly daily with chest pains and swelling. Finally, in 2021, he was referred to a civilian specialist after being put on basically a dead man's profile. And still, Fort Drum weren't doing the things authorized by physicians. Well, my son ran out of time and was found deceased on November 10th, 2021, two months from being out of the military. My son was found eight hours later in a grotesque manner and was only found because he didn't report to formation. Specialist Mitchell was the kindest person anyone could meet, and to be treated like that by the country he served is outrageous. I would like to say this to Fort Drum. I can't believe you let this happen to our loved one, my son, your soldier, and you haven't seen the last of me. Deeply hurt father, Michael Mitchell Sr. So that was it for the listener tale. I would just like to offer my deepest condolences to Mr. Mitchell. I cannot imagine the pain that you're going through the loss of a son. I hope that you are able to ultimately get justice. True Crime Army, discussions of medical malpractice in the military are huge right now, primarily as many advocates seek to overturn the Ferry's Doctrine, which seems antiquated. A quick recap, the Ferry's Doctrine, as it is known, is the result of a 1950s Supreme Court case that in essence ruled that the United States cannot be held liable under the Federal Torts Claim Act for injuries to service members caused by negligent acts of others in the military. So for example, you go in for heart surgery and they amputate your right leg. The government is not liable, that type of stuff. So it does appear that the tides are turning, but not quickly enough. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. 
This next story comes from a longtime patron of the show, Katie. She wrote to me, quote, I was getting ready for my first deployment and had to go to the medical clinic for all my pre-deployment medical appointments. While I was there, I realized I had to reschedule my dental appointment. So I go to the dental clinic and no one is in the reception. So I go to the window and give my last name and last four and get it rescheduled. I'm in my blues with my jacket on, so my name isn't showing. And as I leave, a dental tech I don't know who was wearing scrubs and a mask walks by. I smile like I typically would to acknowledge someone and continue on my way leaving the clinic. A half hour goes by when I get a text message from a random number saying hi and asking how I am. I assume it's a friend who got a new number and is playing games with me, and I answer a couple of questions trying to figure out who it is. Then this person asks me about a place I worked at when I first got to base, which I hadn't worked at that building for about a year. The person then proceeded to ask me questions about my dating preferences. I immediately realized this person doesn't know me. So I asked if they were in my squadron playing a joke on me. The person said no, he worked at the clinic. This freaked me out because I had not given my phone number while at the clinic, even when I went to my appointment or rescheduled. So it was clear to me that someone went into my medical records to get my contact information. Now, it should be noted that at the time I was stationed at a remote base and it was really creepy, let alone having someone who felt like a stalker texting me. I talked to a friend at the clinic and spoke to leadership and found out that this person went into my medical record for no reason other than I smiled at him. He then got my phone number from my record and texted me within 30 minutes. This incident was a bit disconcerting. I was single, I lived on my own in a remote location, and he had been able to see my address. And to top it off, I had no idea what this person looked like. Well, let me just tell you this. For his actions, this person received an Article 15, aka non-judicial punishment. And at a minimum, I at least got to see a picture of the perpetrator. So at least I knew what he looked like if he ever came around. P.S. Don't tell women to smile. Yikes, that was it. Wow. So that was a tale from one of the patrons. And listen, when I read that, to be honest with you, I never really felt weird about how many people have access to my personal information on base until I was researching Colonel Russell Williams, the Canadian commander who went on to kill two women. I covered that case in episode two. So remember, in one of the murders that he committed, he found that airman's address by going into her file after she served on one of his flights. He found out that she lived alone and then he crawled into her basement and killed her. Ah, so these stories, uh, you know, my listener story, Katie, it seems like, oh, he probably wasn't gonna do anything. He was probably just trying to mack on her. But no, no, these stories are freaking scary. Here is a PSA for everyone. If you're going to be home alone because your roommate is TDY or your spouse is deployed, Please don't post that all over social media. Honestly, no one needs to know that you're home alone ever. It's a scary world out there. All right, this next listener tale involves murder and children. So please feel free to stop listening right now as this is the last listener tale of the day. And to be quite honest, This story made me absolutely sick to my stomach. You have been warned. Our listener wrote, 
April 8th, 2008 will always haunt me. On that day, while in the leasing office in Norfolk, right outside gate four, I received several calls from residents complaining of an odor that smelled like death. Since it's not uncommon to have bird nests or squirrels trapped in the chimney, these calls were quite routine. But when one of the residents went on to say that she heard a baby crying nonstop, but none of her neighbors had a baby, the resident said she thought her apartment was haunted. Something in my gut, though, told me this wasn't right. Within an hour, myself and the maintenance supervisor set out to the three townhomes affected by this foul odor. When we greeted the resident at the door, instantly I knew my gut was right. Something was terribly wrong. Even my maintenance supervisor knew this odor was no dead animal. It was far worse. While standing outside the next home of a new military couple that just moved in, we took deep breaths, knocked on the door. No answer. So we announced that we were coming in. I inserted the key and when the door opened, we both vomited in the bushes. The odor wasn't just death. It was piles of dirty diapers, spoiled food, trash as far as you could see. But wait, when this couple moved in, they never said they had children, nor did any neighbors or staff see kids. Why the dirty diapers? Are they babysitting? What is going on? So we hold our breaths and take the stairs slowly, stepping over trash as the odor is getting worse. I'm trying not to gag. And then our hearts dropped at the sight we saw. I ordered my maintenance supervisor to call 911 immediately and told him not to touch anything. I leaned into the crib and I saw two babies dead, or so I thought. We step outside and wait for police and EMTs to arrive. Once first responders arrive, they quickly go inside. While I'm outside giving a statement, two EMTs come out vomiting and crying into the same bushes that I used a short time ago. Then I hear the radio. One is alive, but barely. My heart skipped a beat with hope, but then residents came out to see what was going on. Two EMTs came out of the house, one cradling a baby wrapped up in a blanket close to his chest with tears in his eyes. Another EMT was carrying a baby not wrapped up, but the baby had a mask on its tiny face and an IV in its arm. The ambulance rushed away. By then, detectives arrived on scene and took over the leasing office to conduct interviews. All right, so that was the extent of the listener tale and the listener wanted me to tell the story. Uh, this story is, is too much to tell in a regular episode, so I did some researching, of course. And this is what I found reported in the Virginian pilot. Corey Bryant was an active duty sailor. His wife was Heaven Smith. The pair had 10-month-old twin daughters. This tragic story took place in 2008. Every day that Corey and his wife Heaven went to work, instead of taking those sweet girls to a babysitter, instead, they would leave their two little girls strapped into their infant seats alone at home. But the couple didn't just leave the babies alone to go to work. They would leave them alone to go out to eat, to catch a movie at the movie theater. And sadly, if those little babies didn't already have a tragic life, when their parents were home, the father would give the little tiny babies cold medicine to get them to sleep more quickly. The baby girls' names were Miracle and Heaven. It was reported by the Virginian pilot that from the time the girls were five months old, which was about mid-November 2007 until April of 2008, the girls didn't have a babysitter. 
Little Baby Miracle died on April 8th, 2008 from starvation and neglect. And Baby Heaven, who also suffered from starvation and neglect, remained in the hospital for months. But Baby Heaven did survive. The mom, whose name was also Heaven, ended up pleading guilty to various charges. The so-called mother testified against her husband and said that when she found out she was pregnant, she considered an abortion. After the girls were born, she suffered from severe depression. Also, she heard voices, she stopped eating, and she considered suicide. At one point, she turned to her husband and told him she wanted to give up the girls for adoption, but he told her no. One, what would their families think? And two, the Navy pays more for dependents. Heaven testified that the husband didn't care much for his kids. He was always either at work or working on his car outside, leaving the babies unattended. In January of 2008, that's when Heaven said she kind of stopped caring. She would put the girls in their infant seats with formula bottles propping up the bottles instead of holding them for the babies. She only fed the babies twice a day and only changed their diapers twice a day. On the rare occasions that the couple took the baby girls out of the house, they were covered in rashes and the husband would tell the wife to cover up the girls so people couldn't see those rashes. And then in March, the husband went on a three-week TDY, leaving heaven alone with the babies. At one point, when one of the babies was struggling to breathe, the wife told the husband over the phone. He told her to give the baby some water and to take her to the hospital. The mom was scared because of the sores on the babies, but he said that he would take care of it. When authorities arrived at the house, Miracle, the baby that subsequently passed, was unconscious and barely breathing. She had cockroach bites on her face and a rash all over her body. The infant seat sat next to a pile of 200 soiled diapers. At the time of her death, Miracle weighed a whopping nine pounds. Her sister who survived weighed seven pounds at 10 months old. It is reported that the baby that survived had radar eyes, which basically means that the baby was so scared when anyone came near her because she was so accustomed to being alone. And in fact, baby heaven didn't even cry anymore. One, because she was so weak. And two, because it is reported that, quote, Babies eventually stop crying when it routinely brings no response, end quote. It should be noted that when police initially asked the mom what happened, she told them that the babies had been with a babysitter for three weeks. The couple then gave the police a bogus number for a made-up babysitter named Michelle Vaughn. The police never found said babysitter because she didn't exist. And of course, the examination of the house proved that both of these parents were straight up liars. Of course, the mother's defense tried to argue that she was a mother who was severely mentally ill. But the prosecutors countered with the fact that she managed to somehow go to work every day. She somehow managed to feed herself every day. Yet she neglected those poor, little, helpless babies. You guys, this story is very tragic. I'm going to end by saying that ultimately the mother heaven was sentenced to 17 years for neglect and second degree murder. The father, Corey, was sentenced to 15 years. The judge who oversaw this case, Circuit Judge Gerald C. Jones, 
said that this was the most extreme case of child abuse he saw in his 30 years in the legal system. True Crime Army, when I tell you that I bawled my eyes out while reading a few articles on Baby Miracle and Baby Heaven's case, I am not lying. I absolutely do not like covering kid cases, let alone baby cases, because it breaks my heart. But I wanted to share this story because it was a listener tale from, you can say, kind of like a first responder, the first person who found those two baby girls. And to that listener, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. I am so sorry, True Crime Army, to leave everyone on the most tragic note ever. With that, if you do have a listener tale that you want to share with the rest of the True Crime Army, please be sure to fill out that Google form I set up specifically for these episodes. I know that you all have some crazy ass stories. For example, next time I'll bring you the story about how one full bird colonel got his colonel buddy to take a paternity test for him to get out of increased child support payments. And let's just say this person ended up doing some jail time. All right, everyone. Of course, I am hoping to get more stories from all of you for next time. Until then, however, keep telling your friends to check out Military Murder Podcast. And listen, if you haven't already left five stars, please do so on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Military Murder is a Mama Margot production. Executive producers for this episode are Jen, Tina, Alicia, Falcon 13, Bob, and Nicole. The music was created by Tyapps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep waiting for more Tales from the Trenches stories from all of you, my lovely listeners. Bye. Mama's working on her podcast. I don't want to.